Did I get it on? Yeah, there we go. Congratulations, Kenny. Good job. Boy, has some too much time to watch movies, I think. Well, I don't know if you uh, noticed, but there was a common theme in all of those uh, clips that we showed. Uh, It says a lot, I think, in those clips about our culture. I think that we live in a culture where there are a lot of people that are very uh, self-promoting, self-indulging, and they value self really almost more than anything. Well, today we're going to uh, start a new series, and uh, if this is your first Sunday at Crosspoint, welcome. I'm glad that you're here today, and I think you picked a great Sunday to come and try out uh, Crosspoint, kind of kick the tires and see what we're all about, because uh, we're starting this new series, and I hope you'll kind of stick around through the whole thing uh, as we talk about, I think, what will be some interesting things. You know, really, we're going to talk about life, and uh, we're going to talk about how to have a uh, successful, extraordinary kind of life while we live in a very self-absorbed world. How do we have success in that kind of world? You know, it is easy to make life all about me. And it is easy to become a self-absorbed person living in a self-absorbed world. And uh, I want us to talk about that and look at some insight into that as we uh, talk today. You know, um, I heard about, uh, I heard on TV there was a program about an Alaska uh, hiker. He uh, was kind of one of these extreme sports kind of guys. And uh, he would go different places, mostly in Alaska, and he would try to hike and traverse really difficult areas. And so they were doing this reenactment of an experience that he had had while in Alaska. And while uh, on this show, uh, he was hiking along, and it was bitterly cold. And in fact, uh, bad luck, a blizzard kind of blew in unexpectedly. And to top everything off, he had injured himself, kind of sprained his right ankle. And so he realizes if he doesn't find uh, a place to get inside fairly quickly, he's going to become a human popsicle. And uh, so he is out in this really difficult area, and he happens upon, as luck would have it, a uh, abandoned cabin there in the Alaskan wilderness. And he goes inside, and there is a potbelly stove, and uh, there is uh, some wood, and he finds some kindling, and he builds a fire, but he doesn't have anything to start it with. So he really begins to rummage around this cabin, and he finds a match. Not, not a book of matches, not a bunch of matches, one single solitary match and the narrator on the program said he was afraid to try to strike that match because he realized he had only one chance at life there's a lot of truth in that isn't there we only get one chance at life now there are a lot of things we get to have second chances we get to do over if you go out golfing and you hit a bad shot you can take them all again and put another ball down and try again or uh, if you go to take your driver's test You know, it doesn't go so well the first time, you can go back and try again. In fact, I think you're allowed to go back several times until you finally accomplish it. Um, If I don't do a very good job this morning, you know what, next week, I can try again. I get to do it over next Sunday. We get a lot of things where there's more than one chance, but when it comes to life, there is just one shot. Now, I don't know about you, but I think we ought to try to maximize the one shot that we get. And our culture would agree, but our culture would say the way that we ought to maximize it is to make life all about me. That I ought to live for my own happiness, indulge myself. In fact, there's a a magazine, uh, you've probably seen it on the shelves, that kind of promotes this whole idea. It's called uh, Self Magazine. And it's all about how to be a better you. In fact, the subtitle, You at Your Best. In this particular edition, there is a section on how to uh, love your life and improve things, how to be your happiest. Uh, In fact, there's another headline that says, Self says, make 2008 the year of you. And our culture says it's all about 
me. And I'm going to maximize life for myself. In fact, our culture would tell us, just nurture your inner self. Our culture would say, you create a, a world, a life that everything, the way you structure your relationships, the way you spend your time, the way you manage your money, that it all evolves around you. And if we want to have happiness, you do what's best for you, and I'll do what's best for me, and we'll all be happy. But you know what my experience in life tells me? The people who are the most self-absorbed are the least happy and have the least contentment. And so I wonder, is it possible that there is a better way? Is it possible that living a self-absorbed life doesn't produce the results that our culture promises? I think there is a better way. I think there is a completely different kind of life that we can live that will give us absolute fulfillment. Now, this completely different kind of life involves my life getting completely in sync with our Creator who knows all about fulfillment because He created every one of us to be fulfilled. And so living this completely different kind of life involves getting life, first of all, in sync with Him. How would you describe your life today? I mean, if I just said to you this morning, how's life? You might describe it in a number of different ways. You might describe it in terms of your marriage. And you might say, well, you know, life is great because I am married to this wonderful person and life is just great. Or you might say, you know, life is kind of tough because our marriage is a little shaky right now and things are kind of difficult. Or maybe you talk about life in terms of your career and how you're pursuing things or how it's been difficult over the last couple of months. Or maybe you talk about life in terms of your children or other relationships. Or maybe you'd explain how life is in terms of your spiritual life. But how is life today? I think, if you think about it, wherever we are in life or however you would describe your life right now, It is the result or the consequence of choices that you have made along the way. Let me illustrate. I'm married today, happily, because I made a choice 17 years ago, and I think that's the right number of years. I'll know later if it wasn't. Um, 17 years ago, I made the choice when I saw this wonderfully attractive, incredible young woman, and I made the choice to ask her, to be my wife. And in a very weak moment, she agreed to do that. I am a pastor today because I made a choice a number of years ago that that's what I would do in life. Now, I'm not taking the calling of God in my life out of that equation, but God gives us the ability to make a choice. And so years ago, I made the decision that I would do the things that it takes to pursue this being my career for life. Some of you are teachers. Somewhere along the way, you made a choice that you would value children and that you would value education and you would choose to invest your life in teaching them. You see, where we find ourselves today, the consequences of life, the results of life are the results of choices that we have made along the way. Now, I realize that's not true of everything. You didn't get to pick your parents and you didn't get to pick the country that you were born in. And I know that some of you would say, well, there have been some really negative circumstances in my life that came as a result of very bad choices that other people made along the way. And that's true. But I would also say to you that you had a choice as to how you responded to their choice. And in most cases, 
Our lives the result are the result of the choices that we make. Now think about it from a, a different angle. If you have some some negativity or some unhealthy consequences in your life, maybe relationally or in your career or academically, what we're tempted to do is to go back and to think, if I would just have made different decisions, the consequences would have been different. If I would just retool the decision-making process, then the outcome or the consequences would be different. And that's true, isn't it? And the answer is yes and maybe no. Because I want us this morning to drill down even more deeply to a whole different level about our choices. You see, there, there is also the idea that my choices go back to my core beliefs. And my core beliefs, what I think, what is in my mind, influence the kind of choices that I will make. And then the kind of choices I make influence the consequences or the results. For example, use your imagination. Imagine I was a single female, and I know that may take a lot of imagination. Imagine I was a a single female, and I came to you and so excited and said, I have found this wonderful guy, we're going to get married. And I began to tell you about the guy, and you realized who it was, and you immediately began to think, why are you marrying him? Because maybe I'm kind of sharp, and you're looking at him thinking, he isn't so sharp. Now, what you don't realize is that there is a core belief in my life that's driving this decision. I'm 29 years old, and I have for years and years had this core belief that by the time I was 30, I should be married, and if I wasn't married by age 30, there must be something drastically wrong with me. And so you might say, well, guy's not that good looking. I don't care. He doesn't have a job. I don't care. He's 46 and lives at home with his mom. I don't care. Why? Because I am being driven by this core belief in my mind that if I don't get married by age 30, there's something wrong. And so the train's leaving the station and I don't care what it looks like, I'm getting on board. And my beliefs drive my choices which ultimately impact the consequences or the results. So if I want to see change or transformation in my life, it starts at the level of my core beliefs. Now, guess what? This is a principle right from the Bible. In fact, if you'll turn in your Bibles today to Romans chapter 12, that's where we're going to study. And uh, it's in the New Testament of your Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and then the book of Romans, and we're going to be in chapter 12. And in fact, if you've got something you want to just stick it in that place in your Bible, we're going to camp out in this one chapter for three or four weeks together. And in fact, I want to ask you to do this over the next several weeks. I want to challenge you to do something that I did several months ago. I want you to take Romans chapter 12, and would you read that chapter every single day between now and the end of this series? Now, I know you're probably thinking, but Jeff, won't that get old after a few days? I'll tell you what, when I did that for 30 days, I was amazed that still on day 30, the different things that I saw in that one chapter that God, through the Spirit, kept revealing to me. And I believe you'll do the same if you'll make that commitment to read through this one chapter of the Bible. It's not long. You can read it in just a few minutes. But if you'll do that every day, I think God's going to open your eyes to some wonderful things that are contained in there. Well, you know, so often, as I said, we only want to deal with the last two parts of this cycle. We want to change the decision-making process, thinking that that will impact or change the consequences. Paul says 
it goes a little more deeply than that. Listen to what he says, Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, and we always then stop immediately, don't we, and have to ask, therefore what? Well, Paul actually goes on to tell us here. He says, therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy. Now, understand, in the previous 11 chapters of the book of Romans, Paul has spent extensive time talking about God's mercy, His grace. He has talked about our sin and the fact that all of us are guilty of sin, but yet that God has provided a way for us to pay, have the penalty for that sin taken care of by God through Jesus. And all of that's contained in the first 11 chapters of Romans. And then he gets to this part and he says, because of that mercy, I urge you to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Now, what does all that mean? And we're not going to spend very long on this first verse today. We're going to keep coming back to it uh, repeatedly over the next few weeks. But just let's kind of wrap it up by saying this. In essence, Paul is saying here, I invite you, I urge you because of God's mercy to take your life, your everyday life, your going to the store life, your being at home life, your going to school life, your doing work life, just your regular ordinary life and give it to God. Let God be the leader of your life. Let him be in control. You give your life to God. Then he begins to kind of spell out maybe what that looks like a little bit in verse 2. He says, do not conform. And let's stop there. Do not conform. Now, a lot of people, have you ever heard people say, well, I don't want to be a Christ follower because all Christ followers are just conformist. Ever heard that? They all look a lot alike. They have all these rules they have to follow. They all have to do the same things. I don't want to be a Christ follower because they're just a bunch of conformists. Interesting, Paul says, do not conform. Think back to when you were growing up, um, like when you were maybe, you know, kindergarten, first grade, second grade, third grade, somewhere in there. What did you want to be when you grew up? And can you remember back in those early elementary years or later elementary years? What was it that you wanted to be when you grew up? In fact, why don't you do this right now? Why don't you turn to the person beside you there and just go ahead and tell them what you wanted to be when you grew up? Go ahead, everybody participate. Anybody, that's good. Anybody want to be a professional athlete when they grew up? Nobody. Anybody think they'd be a rock star? (laughs) Really? Yeah. (laughs) Anybody thought they wanted to be a a corporate mogul or something like that, you know, in business? Anybody think they'd be a supermodel? Yeah, nobody's going to admit to that even if they thought that. Yeah, right, yeah. Isn't it interesting? We all have these images that when we grow up, we'll do this really unique thing. And what happens to us as life goes along? We begin to conform to the pattern of the world around us, don't we? You know what? We all pretty much live in houses that look an awful lot alike. And we drive fairly similar vehicles. And we do our work every day and before long our lives sort of just look the same in a lot of ways don't they we deal with the same problems the same struggles the same issues we begin to conform to a pattern god really his intention was that we would be unique in a sense paul says here do not conform verse 2 any longer to the pattern of this world but be transformed now that word transformed is the same word where we, that we get metamorphosis from. It is a, describing a radical change in our lives. Paul goes on to say, how does that happen? By the renewing of your mind 
then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now here's the, here's the pivotal part of those verses. He says our minds will be transformed how? By the renewing of our choices? No. By the manipulating of our circumstances? No. He says our lives will be transformed by the renewing of our minds. The renewing of the way that we think by changing our core beliefs. Which in turn will affect our choices. Which in turn change the results or the consequences. It's the way that you think. In the original language, the word transform could also be translated renovate. God says, I want to renovate your mind. How many of you have done renovation projects at home? Yeah, a few of you. I mean, we've done some really small renovation kinds of things. I don't know where in life, I guess maybe when I was born, but for some reason, I didn't get the, the mechanical handyman kind of gene for some reason. And so anytime we take on any kind of renovation type things, it's a, it's a big deal. But when I, when I say the word renovation, for some of you that have done those kind of projects around your house, what are some of the words that you think of immediately? When I say renovation, what do you think? Yeah, frustration. Mess, I heard that. Yeah, messy. Let's stop on that one. You know, it's true, isn't it? When you undertake a renovation process, it's just a mess. I mean, there is dust everywhere and stuff everywhere, and your house is a mess for the whole time. That it's just a mess, isn't it? Well, what are some other words that come to mind? And never finish exactly yet a time issue. You know, if they tell you renovation is going to take two months, it takes four months, doesn't it? It seems like the time goes on and on and on. I don't know if anybody said, but it's costly at times, isn't it? Well, oftentimes it ends up costing you a lot more because all these things pop up that you didn't realize you were going to have to take care of. And George said it's frustrating, and it is at times. It is, it is frustrating to us as we undergo this process. It's, it's disorganized at times. It's chaotic at times. That's all true, but you know there's another word to describe renovation. It can be spectacular. I mean, have you seen those before and after kinds of things like on HGTV? Or they show you the house before and then they do some kind of renovation and they show you the picture afterwards and it's spectacular, isn't it? Or like on Extreme Home Makeover, you know, they live in a shack when it begins and by the time they're done, they're living in Taj Mahal. It's spectacular. The transformation, the change, the renovation that takes place. And that's what God wants to do in our lives. A radical, wonderful transformation. A renovation of you. Now, it can be a little messy along the way. And it will cost you some personal sacrifice. And at times it may seem chaotic, but the outcome can be spectacular. And I think it starts with our thinking, with our mind. And over the next few weeks, we are going to deal with some areas of our lives where I think God wants to renovate our thinking. Now, they are simple truths that we're going to talk about, but all of them, if we will let God change these core beliefs, it will change the way that we make choices. And then it will change the outcomes or the consequences or the results in our lives. So I want us to deal with the first one today, and we're only going to deal with it briefly. And the first one is simply this. God knows better than I do. Well, of course. <laughs> He's smarter than I am. God is a cosmic genius. He's brilliant. And of course, it just makes sense that it, if... I allow 
God to influence my life choices, and He is smarter, of course then my core belief ought to be God knows better than I do. And you know what's a funny thing, but when I said that, I didn't see any of you writing that down feverishly. Because I think most of you were thinking, okay, Jeff, well, of course God is smarter than me. But my question is, do you really live like that? I mean, really, when you make choices every day, do you make them confident that God knows better than I do? Or are you a little self-absorbed and do you sometimes live your life like I know better than God? Yeah, and I know the grammar on that's wrong. We'll, we'll fix that in a little bit here. For some of you, that's going to bug you the whole rest of the time, isn't it? Yeah. But that's exactly how we live our lives sometimes. Like, I know better than God. Now, we would never say that. I mean, we would never come right out and say, oh, I'm smarter than God. But when we have a choice to make, and it's something that we want to do because we believe it's going to make us happy, and even though God's Word may say something to the contrary, what do you go with? A lot of times we go with what I want to do. But if deep down my core belief is that God knows better than I do, then every time I ought to be tracking with God and His Word and His wisdom. I want you to look at one other passage of Scripture this morning. It's in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. And Proverbs in the Old Testament, and it's filled with all kinds of sayings of wisdom. In fact, if you try to read a chapter of Proverbs, it seems a bit confusing because the writer seems to jump all over the place. But there are just all kinds of these kind of short wisdom sayings that are full of wisdom for our lives. And I want to look at one of those. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5. The verse begins this way. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Now, you know what? That is contrary to cultural thought, isn't it? What does culture say? Culture says... Trust your heart. Follow your heart. I mean, if you go into Hallmark to buy a card or you watch a chick flick, a movie, you know, what do they say on there? Oh, just trust your heart. Do what your heart says is right. Follow your heart. The writer of Proverbs says, no, you trust God with your hearts. Because it's a lie that we can just follow our heart. Our our hearts are fickle. My heart may say one thing today and tomorrow it may say something completely different. Proverbs says, trust God with your hearts. Verse 5 continues, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make your paths straight. Now verse 6 he says, in all your ways, and that goes back to that same thing we said in Romans 12, in all your ways, in your ways of going to school, in your ways of working, in your everyday life, In everything that you do, you trust God. And the promise is that when we will trust Him with our hearts and we will give Him every part of our life, it says He will make our paths straight. Or in other words, He will make our consequences, the results, the outcomes of life straight. How? By recognizing that God knows better than I do. Don't trust your own reasoning. Don't trust your own understanding when it comes to reasoning my reasoning and god's word god's word trumps every single time so through the magic of uh, technology if we can have that messed up phrase back let's fix that back the right way and would you read it with me god knows better than i do one more time 
God knows better than I do. You know, if we would just dare to live that way. Now, I know deep down that you push back a little at that. Because you know what happens when God's word comes into conflict with something that you want to do? You end up doing what you want to do. Basically, we kind of live this way. I know I can make me happy if I can manipulate the choices and I can manipulate the outcomes. Now, God, I know what your word says, but God, I know this is what will make me happy. I, 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 I. Self-absorbed. And I don't mean to offend you, but I want to tell you this morning, we really do not know what's best for us. You want to know how I know that we live self-absorbed like that sometimes? Think about this. Can you remember a time when you really wanted something? And whatever it was that you wanted, you were absolutely convinced it would make you happy. And you worked hard, maybe you had to save money. Whatever it was, you kept striving forward to attain that. And when you finally got it, three weeks later, you realized, you know what? That didn't make me all that happy. Or maybe there was something you really wanted, something that you were pursuing, but the deal fell through, the financing didn't come through, and you didn't get it. And six months later, you look back and you thought, you know, I thought that would, would have made me so happy, but man, am I glad that didn't work out. Or maybe you've seen it in somebody else's life. You have watched them pursuing something or someone, and maybe you've even said to them, you know, that's not very wise. But they are absolutely convinced that that's what they want, and so they are pursuing because that's what will make them happy, and nothing will stop them from doing that, even though you have tried to warn them And later they suffer the consequences. And you know, often when we suffer the consequences, we want it on Wednesday. We don't suffer the consequences on Thursday. We suffer the consequences three years later from Thursday. And you know what? A lot of us in this room this morning, we are carrying the baggage and the bruises of negative choices that we have made along the way. And the results, the outcome, the consequences were disastrous. So, you know what we tend to do? We tend to think, well, if I'll just go back two steps, if I'll change my decision-making process, then I can avoid that kind of painful outcome the next time. You know what we really need to do? We really need to start living like God knows better than I do. And I need to let God renovate my life. I need to let God renovate my thinking And no matter how messed up you are this morning, no matter how much baggage you feel like you are carrying, God can begin to change those core beliefs, the way that we think, to match up with God knows better than I do. And He can begin to transform our lives. You know, God wants to be our dad. I I can remember when our... uh, Boys were very young, just after they were born. And I I tried, to some extent, to be a a hands-on dad, you know, to be involved in as much of the process of everything as I possibly could. And so it was not unusual for me to change dirty diapers. And, you know, I got sprayed more than once. And uh, uh, there were several times, you know, where you'd uh, begin to lift that diaper off and you would think, how could such a small child 
produce something that disgusting. It smells like that. But you know, it was all worth it, wiping that mess off of them, getting the clean diaper on. You know why it was all worth it? Because they would speak their first words. After I had finished with that diaper and they had a clean one on, they would look me in the eye and say, Dad, thank you so much for changing my diaper. And they would give me a hug and it would fill that inner need in my life. No, that never happened. You know what more often happened when I'd go to change their diaper? Besides spraying me, they would cry and fuss. I think they were cussing me out in baby talk. They didn't want their diaper changed. But it got changed every time. You know why? Three reasons. I'm bigger. I'm smarter. And I love them too much to leave them in their mess. And I don't know what choices that you have made in life that have left you in a mess. But the God who is the business of transforming our lives wants to be your dad and wants to clean up the messes in your lives. And He loves you too much to leave you in a mess. And this morning, if you'd let Him, He'd like to be your Savior. He would like to love you for the rest of your life. And He'd love to transform you. And this morning when we're all done, some of our staff will be right down here in the front. And if you'd like to talk to us about how Jesus could clean up the mess of your life, we'd love to talk with you. Let's pray. God, I pray in our lives that over the next few weeks you would do some real transformation. And God, it would all begin with the renewing of our minds. And God, it would start with this first step that you know better than I do. God, I just pray that you'd stick that phrase in our minds and every day this week as we have opportunity to make choices every time we think of making that choice in terms of what would God want me to do because you always know better than I do thank you for loving us enough to clean up the messes in our lives in Jesus name we pray amen